Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Revolutions, reverberations, resolutions, re- resurrections. All right, we're not saying it. <laughs> oh! <laughs> now you made me say it in my head. How dare you? Okay, well, we I'll, go, into I'll, your go, mind. I'll go on further. The hard R matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how Re- there's now the two matrix. letters that make you think of the word. Yeah, oh, right. God. Oh God! But there now, used, now used to be the matrix, letter, the no, matrix, the matrix. That word is very funny to me. Is it revolutions <laughs> or is that the third one? Wait, there's That's the third um, one. What's the it's reloaded revolutions? Reloaded? And this is resurrection. Oh, okay, okay. Because yeah, they're bringing it back from the right, dead. Right. Yeah, just to red letter media rebooted yeah. would be the much easier for me to remember word. And it's also like the meta version. Which it was a very meta movie and it would uh, work. But uh, yeah, I sort of liked it. Yeah, if you are someone who is like, uh, there needs to be a formula that there needs to be this kind of action and it needs to be good. And part of my enjoyment of a metal band is like the, you know, blast beats and the, uh, all the the, signs of the movie versus I like a different kind of genre for its lyrics. If you are someone who is like, I want a pretty good Kung Fu action with like cool visual effects sort of person in that yeah didn't really do that but uh i i like the movie i liked it i gotta be totally honest though i'm somebody when the first matrix came out i was like this is boring (laughs) 
I really, really was like, this is a boring movie. And okay. I can't believe how much people like. Bonnie, but, me and Steven were fifth grade boys at the time. So yeah. you, you do need to understand, like, we were literally fifth grade boys when this This was marketed movie. to us. I remember. Uh, I believe I was a high school student, a freshman. Right. So, so you had the language so of I, critically, like, examining something and being like, oh, I, this is I, actually I stupid. disagree. I, di- I think I have got more of a perspective on what it was like for high schoolers at the time. And no, uncritically obsessed everyone was. I personally did not understand at the time how it was blowing people's minds. But now as an adult, I realize that's because I myself had already considered a matrix many times. And I was like, I mean, I big think we deal. All did. Yeah, the general idea of like, oh, is this all a dream? Is this all, you know, whatever yeah. is. Right. A, but it was still like, I mean, I'm a little child. I'm a little boy who likes. I am the- not saying I was correct for disliking The Matrix when it initially came out. I am simply revealing this. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a criticism of people who liked. Well, did you ever go back and rewatch it? But then I it? did watch it later. And how did you? You were still like, "That's boring." Uh, I rewatched it with sort of the like action movie kind of appreciation for it because I rewatched it probably around when I was like doing stunts Mm. so and I got really into bullet time that kind of stuff because the matrix used a lot of very new wire work along with the digital effects so it was like you know but then uh, I know lots of people now like as an adult who like, they do have a spiritual feeling about the Matrix. <laughs> Which they reference in Resurrection. Which they do sort of call out in the movie, well, in the even, new movie. They even call out themselves with that line of, oh, it's about uh, trans people. One of the focus groups. Being, it's about capitalist exploitation. It's about the, capitalist exploitation, but someone did literally... Trans identity. Trans identity, which is, like, kind of a self-call out, and I appreciate... I was just saying, like, when I first saw the movie, like, I did not have the language to even really say I've seen another movie like this or I have... Because I was, like, stupid and little and a child. And, like, it was literally... I do remember the first time I've seen it. And I've seen it since, and I can appreciate its action things, and I can criticize it for these things. But, yeah, just the first time I saw it, like... It was kind of the coolest thing I ever saw. I had my first sexual encounter during the Matrix. Yeah, well, good for you, Steve. <laughs> during the bullet first, time. During the first time you saw it, or I, just it was playing when you had? No, I think it was the first time I saw it. I didn't see it in movie theaters, so it was after it came out. Yeah. And it must have been like 2001, because I wasn't allowed to see it in movie theaters. I see. And I remember seeing... I saw it at a Boy Scout (laughs) lock-in. But I did see Reloaded in theaters, which was the time I remember. Bullet time, if you will. So I have nostalgia for it, being a 12-year-old or 13-year-old seeing it. And certainly they made reference to that. And I saw it when I was older. I didn't really get the hype at the time. Yeah. 
I remember reading about it in Nickelodeon magazine. <laughs> That's my millennial memory. But yeah, so the movie itself. Neo is a uh, video game designer. Yeah, that's interesting. The Matrix. The Matrix uh, video game series, the trilogy of video games. And it very notably takes what it is and the like meta criticism around the project head on. And Neo is in this context trapped in the matrix in the sense that he is at a job where he is trapped by his former creative work of creating the video game trilogy of the matrix and now warner brothers their parent studio wants to make a sequel to the trilogy and he would like to explore other things but he's trapped by his own creative genius much like and then he tries to kill himself yeah again Anyway, so this is made by someone who also made The Matrix, but it was a movie <laughs> trilogy, and now she's making a sequel to well, the trilogy. Well, and in real life, they were told if they didn't want to direct, the IP belonged to Warner, um, Brothers. Warner Brothers, and they would go ahead and do a reboot regardless then this would be the Zizek point about ironicalness. Yeah, the distance. <laughs> Where one of them said, uh, absolutely, yeah, no, fuck this, I don't give a shit anymore. And the other one was like, okay, could I put this conversation in the movie itself? And they said, yeah, sure, it doesn't bother us. Go ahead, <laughs> just make the fucking movie. <laughs> and then they made the movie. And had that conversation in there with literally Warner Brothers. Yeah, and and then it is sort of it is a movie that I will say I love it because it asks the question that Zizek presents. However, you feel about the answer to that question, it wholeheartedly just does that. And which is which question? Can satire be revolutionary can irony can humor on its own basis on its own merits of telling the truth about what is happening can that be revolutionary and we see a point where a literal conversation uh, where someone feels trapped into making a movie then leads to them making that movie about how they feel trapped by making that movie. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting to me. Also, I feel like, yeah, go ahead and resurrect them. I did hear that it performed under their numbers and they're probably not doing a sequel to that. In which case I say mission accomplished. Yeah, that that's scene. great. Like that's the best. Well what thing I that think is happen. funny is that like most people forgot Neo and um Trinity Trinity are dead. <laughs> Physically, well, yeah, uh, they did it, explain it in the movie. Well, they they did explain the movie, but I'm saying, yeah, their corpses, yeah, that's a scene, but it's like people, uh, yeah, no, and sure, and they like are literally saying they can't be dead, we need them to be alive, we will rebuild their fucking corpses 
from the ground up and make a new one. And um, that's also in the movie. And, like, I, I don't know that that, like, makes it okay that, like, capitalism is here but like i don't know it's interesting that like all of that is put into this movie and that's allowed to just be made and there it is i like thinking about that in the terms of like zizek's like take on and zizek wrote a review of it and then midway (laughs) midway i didn't read the review but i'll also comment on it and i feel like uh it's a pretty good review and then halfway through he goes well you might notice that all of my criticism is just taken from other reviews of this because i didn't actually watch the movie and i will say as someone who didn't read the review has read some Zizek and has watched the movie, I don't need to read the review to say that he didn't need to watch the movie to write the review. Um, Like, I know, like, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what he would say. And if he concluded that he didn't like the movie, uh, that's correct. He wouldn't like this movie if he watched it. And um, he probably came to those conclusions not watching the movie the same way he would have if he watched the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like super textbook of like why Zizek would not like this movie. Very postmodern. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I only saw the first half, but apparently that's the best half. The rest of the movie is all right. And like as a whole... I think it makes a good movie. The back half, I would not say is bad. If you really are going into this as an aficionado of like the sort of Kung Fu action genre and uh, that's what you want, you won't get that. Um, yeah, I thought If the- you want it to explain the first half of the movie and come to a reasonable narrative conclusion... Then yeah, it does that. It's not as funny with the like kind of referency shit. But yeah. Yeah, what did you think of the action and stunts? Because I have some thoughts about it. Oh, it was hilarious. They like were like, okay, we're gonna do three of your physical things from like the established things. Like Trinity is gonna do that kick. Like, and that's it. <laughs> and there was just a lot of like Neo does his push. He does the pushing. So I feel like um everybody noticed this. So yeah, I like how it wasn't like Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu like went back in the gym and got crazy ripped. Like it wasn't that at all. They were like, no. Well, and I also like the way it was shot, the action was shot reminded me of Chuck Norris, you know, 90s Walker, Texas Ranger level of fighting style because they would do this thing where they'd slow down, they do everything in slow motion and they do close-ups on Keanu's face. And that reminded me of like those 90s syndicated action where it was like a kung fu movie, but with people that weren't capable of doing much kung fu. Yeah, And I like that. Gonna... I like that. You can be a kung fu aficionado and like the dudes who are like legitimate athletes and they've found a niche in their acting and they're really good action stars for those kinds of movies. And then you have the more, you know, 
up by special effects and then like the standard action movies where like you have these actors go to the gym and like try and and uh yeah this was none of that this was just this was just these guys were in the other movies so they're in this movie and yeah it's kind of just telling this story that i the director wished to tell and it's kind of this like story that ultimately concludes with love is the most powerful force in the universe it's like very interstellar uh i feel like where it yeah it is very much about this like uh love story or about like them together uh, yeah it creates this like super battery or whatever the fuck because there's a bunch of robot countries now and they all have their own like little matrices and so now it's like not about like taking all of the human race and having this ultimate source of ridiculous sci-fi power of like human batteries now you have to like optimize your human batteries so neil patrick harris realized that trinity and neo when they're like kept both in physical universe and in the matrix universe close but not touching they like produce like all this power but if they ever touch then it's like too much power and <laughs> then they like become like super saiyan and shit but like neo does do a kamehameha in the beginning yeah i mean it, it just it, does the pushing force energy yeah no because he's not going back to the gym dude like he's counter is he's doing good what? he just seems like a gregarious guy who isn't he's pretty humble and like likes the fact that people love him for not the most high art movies he's ever done like good for him and i, I appreciated what they let him do in this movie i liked it I liked it too. Ringing endorsements all around. Yeah. Also, I feel like it's appropriate to imply that they will live forever. Uh, yeah, fuck it, because you're not letting this die, so why should we let them die? Well, kind of uh, the machines versus humans theme, you know, and Bunny already expressed she's on the side of machines. Well, okay, I'm going to put it this way. I feel like... Casually, most people are like, oh, no, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared of the AI. I'm scared of the da-da-da. And every single depiction of the future with a bunch of AI and robots, I mean, traditionally, is this dystopian thing where they're harmful to us and turn on us and et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think it's fucking dumb. And uh, I love robots. And if any robots are listening, yeah. I'm on your side. Shout out to uh, you. Fully automated luxury I, communism. I like playing with AI. I like exploring the things that really would be beneficial and appropriate for an AI solution. Man versus machine. Spotify versus Joe Rogan. Neil Young left Spotify in protest of Joe Rogan, and so did Joni Mitchell. You know what? A Southern man. Now Joe Rogan is a Southern man. Yeah, yeah. Joe Rogan is now the Southern man that don't need his kind anyhow. And isn't that appropriate to associate them with neo-Confederates? That's what I say. <laughs> that Joe Rogan is the neo-Confederate? Obviously in this working, yes. Well... I guess it's also specifically over vaccine misinformation. Mm -hmm. You know, 
It's just like, because I know Joe Rogan and the people who listen to Joe Rogan don't think, oh, he says he doesn't know for sure. So he's not misinformation. Like, he just asked some questions. Looking at different sides. Yeah, I mean, we'll cringe to ever make a stand about anything. I'll give him that. However, on the other hand, I kind of like Neil Young, and also, objectively, he's correct. So, yeah, I don't know. Also, I don't have a Spotify, and I don't really care. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I do, but I don't listen to it. She uses it only for... But I don't listen to Joe Rogan you, you either. And I used to listen to Joe Rogan a long time ago. But then it was just like, I can't listen to this guy talk about like masculinity under attack and testosterone. <laughs> I'm sorry, like fucking snooze. Look, because no other podcast back in the day was having... Uh, three-hour conversations with people who... And one of those people being... Joe Rogan, uh, who is like accidentally sometimes a good interviewer because of <laughs> how stoned he is. Yeah, the just whole like time. just the whatever. He's a curious. Uh, he was still trying. Now he's like just resting on his laurels and like doing whatever the fuck he wants because he's the biggest podcast ever and like all this shit and like he's like shorthand for a whole thing. Like so, he's just like doing whatever I feel like and back in the day he was still trying to like make it a good show you know <laughs> so were, well, but um I I I do think it's funny because there's a like one guy one like health guy the bulletproof guy who Joe Rogan just decided I hate this guy <laughs> and he like scrubbed the interviews with him <laughs> from the internet like basically he was like i think this guy is uh exaggerating or whatever and like i don't know if he's got all the stuff to back up his claims it's joe rogan which, which is hilarious which, right which, yeah like also whatever he wants to believe in the notional free speech marketplace of ideas argument which is even if someone is making seemingly convincing spurious claims surely someone would come along with more convincing claims countering them because the truth is always the most convincing thing that's like effectively the theory and within that theory you don't ever need to scrub even pseudoscience because real science will necessarily by its stronger connection to the truth defeat it that's the theory like my general thing on neil young is it's kind of a boomer thing and that's well, where that's, the, that's where the cringe comes from is it is a boomer argument but it's not incorrect wrong necessarily like or it make your counter arguments of spotify makes a large amount of money from joe rogan joe rogan's podcast certainly does lend a level of credibility to information about health issues that is fundamentally important at this time to the general welfare. I am Neil Young. I have 60 fucking years of a career of, you know, notoriety. And frankly, not even me leaving uh, will make a difference, but me staying, who am I? Like what? I, I have all the money I need. And uh, I disagree that this company that I'm 
making money for and getting paid from is making money from this thing that I feel is bad. So I'm going to make my individual stand. And yeah, it's a very like 60s mentality, but like, I think it's not completely stupid. I have no criticism of, uh, of Neil Young. I don't know. I just, I don't know what the desired outcome really is. Yeah, you know? that would be the main criticism. And now, because, like, and now it's like a boomer exodus with Joni Mitchell leaving. And, and that is the criticism of boomer activism is what is the exit plan? What is your end game? You never really have some. It's always just, I feel a certain obligation within the way I see my how I should be and how other people should be that I need to do this thing. Uh, yeah. I don't pay like daily attention to Joe Rogan, but he did have Jordan Peterson on in a little bow tie recently. Yeah. Um, and I did tune in to a little bit of that. I did too. Which then bummed me out because I'm not like super tuned in to Joe Rogan. I'm like, oh my God, like he's gotten so bad. Mm -hmm. Like just the things that like casually came up in this conversation between Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. I was like, holy shit. It was when he moved from California to Austin, but like he'd been going in that direction and then he made that move and now is just almost like an alt-right podcast. Well, it's like this whole guise of uh, we're just free speech in over here, right? Telling truths. Or whatever. but Or asking questions or just saying, hey, how come? Because that's a lot of what Joe Rogan posits his stuff as is like him just thinking about it, him just questioning whatever. Uh, it's almost like during this conversation, a very cringe worthy <laughs> exchange happened about um, basically like calling, who was it? Michael Eric Dyson saying he wasn't black he wasn't because black. he wasn't literally what they think of the color black. And then like Jerogan said this thing about like, unless he was like out of the sun in a cave and like had really like this weird thing of. Congratulations, dude. You know what the color black is. Like, there were several, like, semantics as profound truths it, it, kind yeah, of arguments. Like, colloquial meanings of words are different well, than other Well, and it almost was meanings. something we talk about now, you know, which we talk about, which is the invention of whiteness. They almost landed on that and how it isn't, a you know, a real thing. They Which almost landed on that. Clearly true, but also they... But their entire framing implies that these color terms are simply a byproduct of seeing things, right? right? Just, right. oh, just yes. with my naked eye, I saw this color when, like, that is fundamentally not it. And, frankly, just the idea that, like... It assumes that we would see a person and say they have this skin tone, let's categorize them this way, obviously. Or rather that the categorizations and descriptors that are contemporary today have something to do only with literal people seeing other people who look different from them with the naked eye and not a systemic sort of thing. And Jordan Peterson, he's just really enjoying himself, uh, I felt. Uh, which, which, 
To be fair to the man, like, I fell in love with this guy from the first time I met him. And, who oh boy, he's been through a lot. And I'm uh, glad he's not a slave to his daughter in a Russian gulag. Well, I guess. You know, but I feel like it's a kind of boomer mentality of, like, kids today don't know how to, like, right and cursive but reversed where it's like oh people back in ancient greek times if they saw a black person they'd go what the fuck is that i've never seen this and don't have any reference point i better enslave it like they just kind of assume that there's this like they assume that some weird image that they probably saw as a literal child <laughs> of the Western world of the ancient past is the actual thing. Um, right. and, and they never saw anyone who was slightly dark before. And their first instinct would be that's an alien person. Yeah. Whereas um, people did always see black people. Right. And there's not really. And also there's not an inherent like thing of, oh, this person has different sized hands than me. I better consider them a different race. Oh, this person has a different skin tone than me. I better consider them a different race. Like, there's not an inherent thing there that would lead to that categorization. They assume that's there even in their, like, attempt to say this is socially constructed. Their myth of how it was socially constructed is, well, of course... Anyone who ever saw someone of a different race would categorize them of a different race, but that doesn't mean anything versus actually attacking the notion itself that anyone would create these categories in some vacuum just based on I saw a person who looked this way. The one thing that I also heard from Jordan Peterson that I hadn't heard, climate denial which seems to be a new Yeah, there's a new, new part of it like where the, the, it was also a semantics like, argument like, that climate just means like it's literally everything it's all around us. <laughs> <laughs> it was so stupid. So how can it change? Joe. Joe? How can it change? Yeah, Pete. Yeah, JP. If it's all around us, I can't get it froggy enough. Ugh. Yeah, but a purely semantics argument, but not about any of the troubling material facts that well, one would categorize as climate change well, or what, what is, people mean that way. But simply the idea that saying climate change was a misnomer is enough to invalidate. And he's like, eight million children have died of smoke inhalation from indoor problems with their heat or whatever and they actually die of the wood that is burned in the houses and they've done studies on this and blah 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 and that's supposed to be like this invalidating thing of well actually other things murder people other than climate change or maybe the world isn't heating up like the scientists say yeah man house fires suck you know, it's just oil lobbyist kind of talking points about like, well, maybe extracting oil isn't leading to this. And so we should continue extracting oil. And actually, he makes the argument that we should extract more oil because that's saving people's lives 
and selling it as cheaply as possible around the world. So, like, versus having a Conan the Barbarian-style slave wheel where, like, people just push a giant wheel around (laughs) to produce power, like, oil is better than that. So, that does make sense. I'll I'll give him that. That's a solid argument. So, that was a new, new phase of Jordan Peterson, I think. I mean, yeah, it's just so irritating to see these two guys smugly sit around and seemingly, in their minds, revel in their own intelligence and <laughs> like ability to like. He made so many stupid nature comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. He loves the human nature argument. He loves. Uh, so he he goes through like his benzos trip. That was the thing that Joe was like really asking him. So, what was it like? What was it like, Jordan Peterson? Oh, and to be fair, dude, like you had a more unique experience on drugs than I have had, and I can't take that away from him. And of course, he rehashed like fucking forever of the transphobia again. Like just yeah, sure. oh yeah he does do tra- he does a long block of transphobia of um wait there was something particular about it oh though. he said um, that a lot of them are autistic that was it oh that wow that's it. interesting <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, okay that was it his and argument a lot of them a lot of them a lot yeah. of them well, no most of them are a lot of them, them don't work on most, Saturdays most of them are. Are are uh, the, you know they're they're both on the spectrum and you know a lot they of them don't really celebrate Christmas you know. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh, he said it was like part of the creativity was transness. So his th- working theory is that a side effect of autism is you're creative and you might create the notion you're trans. Yeah. Yes, and that kind of like your gender not feeling real is a side effect of autism. Counterpoint uh, to that. Like, or you know, your assigned gender. Okay, so even, even assuming literally all this is correct, would that not still speak to gender being kind of a fungible and like... Token? Uh, the, yeah, not a non-fungible token, but a very uh, transient and uh, spectrum-y sort of thing if within autism it could be undermined as a mere side effect to this con- like like okay so what you're saying well, is well i i suspect that jordan peterson's view of the autism spectrum is pretty negative right like, <laughs> right so sure. them but like yeah i get that they're like essentially uh, yeah pathologizing well and just the idea that oh that's a symptom of autism and like autistic people are broken so therefore right. it's a thing of a broken thing and uh, yeah, et cetera well, instead of like, the thing that autistics really do which is not see arbitrary rules as they really are well, yeah not real well, uh, <laughs> yeah, my I mean, favorite not. is that he's like creativity you know they're on the fringes but the the creativity you know is the chaos and we gotta structure the chaos but sometimes the chaos takes over and that's when you're just overwhelmed by your creativity of course this is also you know sexist because it's like, like I, and also I get it. 
I guess it works on some whatever Jungian way he's using creativity here. But, like, it just seems to me it's, like, you're still kind of saying gender is a, like, construct within the mind that could be a different way. I don't know, dude. Like, where do you want to go with this? Like, it seems like given a 45-minute conversation, given where you're at now, like, you could just be normal. But, like, I don't understand what your fucking hang-up is except i do you're just a piece of shit but even the autistic logic which i'll just call it that but even within that it it just is like uh, it sounds like you think like gender isn't real even if you don't realize you think gender isn't real it sounds like you kind of think gender isn't real i get what you're saying but he definitely sees it as something you you have to opt in to. Yeah, sure. Um, like it isn't something that just like erupts naturally, right? Like you have to be, you have to choose masculinity if you're a man. Like you have to be doing this, or else all these bad things happen. And like you know, all the fashy things it becomes, of becomes chaotic. And then you know, it makes you know, the, the meme of the bad times and the weak men's. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, like, I'm not saying Jordan Peterson is making a, like, stealth pro-trans argument. I'm just saying, like, his argument is so fucking terrible that he can't actually even have it stand up on its own merits as saying what he thinks it's saying. Yeah. So, uh, Benzo's bow tie and black people. That's the That was the title I came up for this section. <laughs> um, but, uh... Did you want to talk about the show? Oh, yes. I did watch The Woman Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. I believe that's what it is. And I watched it from the window of being at my computer. So, yes. It's a satirical series uh, sort of inspired by books and films like The Girl on the Train, The Woman in the Window, And then the series itself kind of expands into, like, general, like, Hitchcock sort of illusions as well of a rear window kind of. That's um, pretty cool. For sure. But it's toned in such a way where if you weren't, like. It's brilliantly toned. Yeah, like, if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't know it was. A satire. A satire, right? Like, it, and some of the some of the things that made me laugh the most were just so subtle, um, but they were sort of impugning the genre in general. But like, yeah, they were just sort of like sprinkled in there as well. I will actually watch it a second time because I, I kind of got most of the episodes. I saw the general beats. I wasn't super watching it, but. I did love what I saw, and it is that sort of satire that is just the genre, and it is a thing that works within the genre, and it can stand on its own as being a good thing within that, but it's also clearly a satire, and you understand that, and and I I do love that. Uh, Every episode is almost its own little, like, 
inclusive cliffhanger unto itself. <laughs> and then it just continues to have uh, so many layers of twists that uh, into absurdity. But there were allusions to those those movies, the Hitchcock movies, and eventually The Bad Seed, which is um, a favorite of mine. Uh, it's a classic film, The I Bad do, Seed. I do feel like this does open the door for a really, really good um, version of those low-budget Netflix rom-coms, like, done up this way, of mm-hmm. just, like, being very respectful to what it is, kind of making fun of, but nonetheless making fun of it. It is just a thing with just all those little beats that mm-hmm. you have these. Well, and I think this is sort of in that orbit because a lot of these, you know, so I think it's also some of these, like, smaller, like, Hallmark Lifetime, mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of white woman in peril sort of uh true crimey adjacent um, things as well where uh, you have uh, somebody who is put in an insane situation or are they? (laughs) It's kind of like this series try to like hit them all but like these things are usually interchangeable in a uh one of these sort of each episode kind of just introduced a new trope and the new cliffhanger to end with i mean it's my favorite fucking thing with uh the princess switch series where it's just like each each movie you get a new princess that looks like the other princess and we just get more princess clones until it's all the princess clones and (laughs) I just, I just love, I just love going, let's do more of it. Let's do, now she's about to get pushed off a helicopter. I like any movie or TV series where at some point it feels like the writers were like held hostage. Like you must, these are the plot points. You must finish. (laughs) Like you must go somewhere from here. Um, This is actually my vision of the poetry factory under uh, Stalinist communism. Which we're going to start We will like have like political prisoners just pumping out poetry and you have a poetry quota. Mm -hmm. We're going to start this when the revolution Make more metaphor. (laughs) Metaphorsa. Jay-Z can be in charge of the metaphor. uh, Yeah, no, it is that just like kind of... Like, yeah, it's it's like getting on this like frantic shit of it just keeps upping itself, always ends on a cliffhanger, immediately resolves the cliffhanger to end on another cliffhanger. And like we've reviewed two shows. There were were a lot of like subtle things like uh, one of my favorite aspects was uh, there's a ex-husband character where he does things that are like wildly uh, like stupid and incompetent, but like nobody pays any attention to that. They're just like... And they don't even lampshade it either. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't even, like, go, like, oh, he did that. That's cool. Like, it yeah. just is done. and It's like, uh, spoiler, he's a criminal profiler of serial killers for the FBI. And also, there's a tragic thing that happens at a take-your-daughter-to-work day. <laughs> Which is like, this detail is introduced so mundanely Mm. that like, it makes it it 
very hilarious. Like, like just the idea that like, of course, like you have to do take your daughter to work day, like regardless. <laughs> right. Like, you know what it, it kind of reminds uh, me of strangers with candy actually yeah. in that way where it just like, there's these rules that are like exist because they're tropes in nineties, like sitcoms and therefore they're rules. And they must be followed as a law of nature. Yeah, so... Also, one of the features of Kristen Bell's character is that she's, like, an alcoholic, which is a, a frequent theme where it's, like, particularly the the movies parodied in the title specifically feature a main character who is an alcoholic who has blackouts where did something happen? Did I really or see I that? Uh, yeah, exactly. So um, they they sort of like play that to the max. Um, yeah, no, it, it's like it makes me want to watch like Girl on a Train and shit. Like it, it makes me want to kind of go back. Yeah, like, yeah, Girl on the Train. She gets drunk and watches people from a train. Yeah, I've seen that. And then Woman in the Window. She gets drunk and watches people from her window in these, train, okay, right? why are okay why are these women these sound like great movies uh these sound like They're movies good. about cool people who have a great setup in life and i'm down you mean like cool drunk chicks who have a lot of time to hang yeah <laughs> and just like watch people and like enjoy yourself being drunk and uh, not worry about people's judgment the, like the, that's fucking uberman the, shit dude the girl on the train like the woman is watching as the other woman in the house is having an affair, right? Isn't that the... Yeah, the girl... Okay, the girl on the train, it's like this woman, she like gets a little whatever. She rides the train. She lost her job. She lost her job, but she still rides the train into London, or at least that's what it was in the book. I did read the book as well for that one. It was one. an American It was setting. in an American city, but um, I was, she, she goes from like Westchester to New York. Yeah, like she takes the train every day. Yeah. So she's still taking it at like eight and five or whatever. And But from the train, she can see this neighborhood this neighborhood, neighborhood. <laughs> this neighborhood, uh, like into the backyards and ish. And, um, one of the people she's looking at is, uh, her ex-husband and, that's, that's what it was. and, Sorry, and his, yeah. yeah. And his new wife. And then she kind of gets fascinated with this couple, like a couple doors down where she like makes up this whole sort of thing about them and like whatever. But then she sort of figures out that one of them is having an affair mm-hmm. because she's been watching from <laughs> The train. Every morning. Okay, so she sounds like the coolest person in the world who has the best life, no worries, just has a thing to do every day, a way to keep herself occupied. Well, sometimes, and then Good the other part is that, like, when she gets really drunk, she, like, calls and, like, harasses her ex-husband. Okay, you know, so, uh, yeah, work through that, So I'm um, still down with this lady. Yeah, so this is, uh, whatever, but then, like... I think she goes up to one of the houses. I remember that to like tell the person that's having the affair done. Yeah. And like, you know, ends up getting the cops called on her or something like that. I I forget. It's been, it's been a while. One of the people dies and she's like, doesn't fully remember where she was the night of it. And that's part of it. 
You'll you just gotta watch it. Yeah, you know, like it sounds like all good things for this character who has no problems. And then, and, uh, uh, yeah. But, oh, surely... but then woman in the window is she's drunk and agoraphobic, and she's been watching. Okay, he needs to go outside. She's been watching people from her window, and then thinks she sees a murder from her window, but she has been drinking. And then, but then they're like, no, like that woman's like alive and then like this so different woman then this different woman is like yeah i'm that woman and she's like no that's a different that's not jane or whatever it is okay and then they're like yes it is movies sound like rear window a little bit yeah that's and that's why rear window was also part of it in this Kristen bell project so yes i liked it it gets really batshit at the end which is super fun and then they just do like a full-on like twilight zone uh homage right at the end um so i enjoyed it there's a very gratuitous sex scene (laughs) which is like hilarious five stars definitely uh stream it if you got the whole netflix i say endorsement We're just endorsing um, movies I do here. Watch, yeah, I do want to watch one of those movies it's inspired by now again. Though I oh, do. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be down for any of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, last one is Jerry Falwell Jr. had a wonderful puff piece written about him. We're ending on a high note, Marlo. Because I, I was first introduced to this, there was a, uh, I think, queer tea. Yeah, I think was the homosexual news service that did a story on it. The homosexual news service, <laughs> the news service Queer among tea. the friends of Dorothy. Um, yeah, so it, it did this like kind of gloaty shit, Libby, and it's like, yeah, that's what they are. They're uh, they're a liberal publication that's trying to capture the comfortable liberal adult gay people community wrote an article about how like essentially suggesting jerry jr was no longer an evangelical christian which kind of set marlo's alarm bells ringing because this is a specific area of interest of mine i've been Seriously, like, kind of low-key obsessed with evangelical Christianity since I was in my 20s, teens, really. And so I'm like, oh, that's okay. So I I start reading the article, and I realize very quickly it's all based on this Vanity Fair piece. So I stop reading the article, and I read the Vanity Fair piece, and he's still Christian. The real takeaway is... Yeah, he's still Christian, and the whole Vanity Fair piece was really just kind of a say-nothing puff piece that was dressing up him explaining his side of the... uh, Cuckolding. Cuckold story. Um, Which, if you don't know... Without, like, making it a story about that, it had to be about more than that. But I did just kind of find it interesting from a perspective of how you are able to take the things that Jerry Jr. says and dress them up as if Jerry Jr. is no longer a Christian, even though he literally never said that. For example, I think one of the like oldest forms of atheism is... You believe in God, but you hate the church leadership. Mm. 
you know, going back to medieval times, is you never had anyone actually say, like, I literally don't think there's a God. There's reasons of pure logic and what they knew about the world that would prevent them from making that leap seriously. But the idea that the church was bad. Hear that, you ghost? You're too stupid to conceive of that back yeah, in your I mean, day. Yeah, they, they could... Uh, Holy you, Ghost. The only time you see someone ever say, I don't believe there is a God, is when it's in court documents uh, explaining why they burnt this person to death. And it's never clear that they ever actually said that or if it was tortured out of them. But you do have very clear essays about the church hierarchy is bad and the monks are devils and this, that. And... That's basically all Jerry Jr. ever said, is he's complaining about the people he used to work with who fired him. Like, he's complaining about people he personally doesn't like and ascribing it to this construct of organized religion, which then gets to a very specific way that evangelical Christians use the word religion, which is doesn't mean what we think religion means it's a very specific term that implies catholicism but basically means a set of rituals and earthly ecclesiastical hierarchies that alienate believers from god whereas they don't have religion they have quote a personal relationship with god and so when he says religion is bad or this that about religion it is really a term of art that gets lost in translation when it gets reported on and read by people who are not within that specific subject. Yeah, I don't. I didn't read the article. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his story about the cock story is his wife was having an affair, and then like she told him about it, and their marriage was kind of on the rocks, and they tried to work through it as a couple. She continued to have the affair for a while, and then it turned blackmail-y, and that, that's basically their story. And, I mean, frankly, it, it sounds as believable as the other story. I don't know, like, uh, I guess. As that, what other story? Well, the, the other guy's story that Jerry Jr. was an active... The participant, participant in the whole thing. Yeah, and like a throuple and this, that, and the other thing. And I will also say that his wife, Becky Falwell, 100% like was very candid like there exist videos and pictures of us having sex and like they're out there and feels really bad and you know like and also I'll roll my eyes because of like his whole like mockery of me too or whatever the fuck but yeah no it sucks that that's happening but also I'll say if Jerry Jr's in none of those videos maybe Jerry Jr's right well yeah. So you're saying you got to see them videos? Yeah, I'm saying uh, I'm saying to right, send him to Marlo, care of Pink Okami Sluts, yeah, PO Box, Giancarlo pics of Jerry Jr. masturbating in the corner of a motel room, or it didn't happen. So yeah, send them to Marlo. So, so absolutely. So where did the rumor come from? That guy who? Yeah, yeah. He and according to Falwell, uh, and he did 
shows some text messages. The guy's like, uh, I'm going to tell them that you were involved. And basically was they were having an affair. Then like Becky wanted to back out of it. But then it was this like weird thing where it was like kind of this like open understanding that, oh, there exists some like, you know, blackmail that could happen. And then they had a business relationship with this guy. And then that went south. And then he was like, oh, I'm going to tell him you're involved. This is basically their story. They could be lying. I, I don't like the Fowell family. I don't like it'd be funnier to me if they were a thruple. But like also sounds so he's got to see those pics yeah also like also <laughs> according to the Fowells, there's a shitload of pictures of becky Fowell having sex with this dude and uh according to giancarlo jerry was present for all of them so if i don't even see a shadow uh, sh- a jerry shaped shadow jerry's penis out yeah in like this- like, there's got to be an exposure mistake or something <laughs> that shows Jerry Jr. there, is all I'm saying. So, anyway. You know who is the ghost that's in this room? Is Jerry's Falwell Sr. He's oh, here right God now. Damn it. He's here I right now. I do not want to be here. The gays did 9 11. Okay, no, seriously, <laughs> if Jerry Sr. is in the room, dude, <laughs> fucking mad props, man. We got to talk sometime. Thank I love you, you dude. You the like that's gonna straight up channel him is uh, no like I mean God what if I do that I, and it there's got something about that generation that I just absolutely do love and the new generation doesn't fucking have no they don't have the joie de vie and, and you know what like that's the thing about righteous gemstones that righteous gemstones is getting across is there's something about that old generation that isn't there anymore. Something about that generation. generation. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Anyway. Anyway, stuttering is hilarious. Anyway, all you guys, too stupid to be atheists. You heard it here first. The gays did 9 11. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And they weren't, what was it? Jer- Jerry Falwell Jr. is famous for that, right? Senior, senior. Yeah, yeah. He came yeah. out and said that the homosexuality. The homosexuals, the feminists, the lesbians, you did this, blah, blah, blah. That was his, like, fucking statement after 9 11. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, did you expect the Nazi to not say a bunch of Nazi shit? Like, yeah, it's Jerry Falwell. That's what he's going to say. In this puff piece, apparently, though, there were stories of him driving around Liberty University in a car. Oh, well, th- no, that's true. Like, I knew that running, before that article. And running down students? Yeah. No, Jerry Falwell was a bad man. He loved fucking with people. <laughs> and he's also a bumpkin from the South, so fucking with people means so nearly like a, killing so them. So, unfortunately, he had, like, a kick-ass sense of humor. Yeah. Like, he had yeah. that no, straight he, hillbilly sense of humor where, where you can't help, but you gotta give it to him. He just said the R word ten times, but it's the funniest thing you ever heard. It's more like he'll, like, <laughs> literally shove a stick of dynamite up your ass, and you will barely stop yourself from dying from having your lower half blown off of you, and then he calls you dynamite butt, and then everyone laughs. That's the, like, hillbilly humor of the foul, like, mining inbred fucking scumbags they come from. Okay, this is going, this, this is This is just really no, beaming no, us into the South. The we're, difference we're between me and Bette Midler is I fucking love that shit. <laughs> 
I absolutely love those fucking people. Those and, uh, fucking if, people. Yes, they're not yeah, like me. Yeah, you hear that? Those people. Yeah, you you guys are delightful to me. You are here for You're my like entertainment, his pets. and I You're love You're like them. Zeus here. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Zeus. He's when the revolution boy. comes, Marla will keep a uh, a night nice, uh, stock of you. So. <laughs> Right to the podcast if you'd like to get on the waiting list for Marlo's uh, (laughs) human hillbilly zoo. (laughs) No, but seriously, I did spend like a good decade of my life studying evangelical theology just because. So, if anybody's qualified to run the hillbilly zoo, (laughs) it's Marlo. I'm just, I'm just saying, your culture is a costume, and it's my favorite costume. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Have a good week, folks. Yep, it's Candlemas this week, everybody. It's a witch holiday. Mm. Bye. Bye. Bye.